Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and I am here with attorney Mark Scroggins of Scroggins Family Law in Dallas, serving Dallas, Collin, and Denton counties. This is the Scroggins Family Law podcast series featuring news and information in Texas divorce and family law. Today's program is titled, Your Spouse Just Filed and You've Been Served with Divorce Papers. Now what? So, we're talking today about the divorce process in Texas and what you may need to know to what to expect in local county courts. We'll talk about how to prepare your financial and other important documentation for your lawyer. Also, we'll talk about what to expect when you have children and custody might be an issue. And, of course, you're likely wondering if you are qualified to receive spousal maintenance and wonder how that works. I'm here with Mark Scroggins. He's a board-certified attorney in family law and is an aggressive and experienced trial attorney practicing in Dallas, Collin, and Denton counties. By way of disclaimer, this is a general information program, and this program is not legal advice. Let's say good morning to Mark Scroggins. Hey, Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing well on this Monday morning. Mark, how are you? You know, so far so good, man, but it's early. <laughs> so. It's it's, it's early. You know, the first thing you see on Facebook is, uh, get ready, Monday's here. Get the coffee, yeah. you know, get settled in. It's, uh, <clears throat> especially, I think this week's going to be a wild week because people are back to work after having most, it seemed like the entire world uh, was out of touch or unavailable last week. So I'm good everyone got rest and relaxation and people are ready to hit the bricks this week. And some folks might be dealing with the, uh, you know, long holiday led to that uh decision to file for divorce or maybe you know we're talking to the person who just received the divorce uh petition maybe they knew it was coming maybe they had no idea so many things right. can uh, be factors to this um and we've talked about so many of these issues over our podcast but this again is a is sort of a refresher course um for people who want to know where do i start let's start at the beginning sure um well i mean if you were just hit with it you know, the big question is going to be whether or not you're facing a temporary order hearing, and because uh, that's going to that's going to play a, a big part in things. And if you're if you are facing a temporary order hearing, when is it? So if you if you were served with a temporary restraining order, that means that that temporary order hearing is going to happen within a period of 14 days from the issuance of the temporary restraining order, uh, which means everything's going to happen in a hurry. So. So you got to kind of get your ducks in a row real quick. You got to make sure you make the right hire as far as as a lawyer, and you need to, you know, kind of vomit all of the information uh, so that that lawyer knows uh, what he or she has to uh, has to deal with, and y'all can start getting everything together. So, um, so let's talk briefly about kind of what happens uh, in this regard. So if somebody files files for divorce, they're going to file what's called an original petition for divorce, and that's just basically a letter to the court that's saying, hey. I'm tired of this person. I want to get a divorce. Now, there are fault bases for divorce, like, you know, uh, confinement in a mental hospital or the one that most people are are familiar with, which is infidelity. Uh, or there is insupportability in Texas, which is uh, Texas's grounds for no fault. Okay, so everybody's heard of irreconcilable differences. Same thing, uh, but Texas just calls it insupportability because we've got to be different, you know. Um, we're so better. it can be alleged any yes, yeah, well that's better. right. I'm 
I'm I'm going to say it that way too. You know, born and raised here in Texas, so so I tend to agree with that. But it's it's kind of like how we we call it Vordire, and everybody else, you know, in the in the other 49 states looks at us like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, so uh, so we definitely, you know, we walk to the beat of our own drummer, which uh, I, you know I'm a fan of because I've been accused of that many times myself. So I digress. Let me kind of get back Moving on to right what we're along. talking about. Yeah, exactly. So you get you get hit with an original petition for divorce, and so you're going to have to file an answer uh, within a period of it's going to be 20 days from the uh, or the first Monday after the expiration of 20 days from the date you are served. Okay. Now, what you also typically are going to do is file a counter petition for divorce so that you actually have affirmative claims on there so that if if you start tra- traveling down the road so to speak of this divorce and let's say that you are really putting a whooping on on your ex in court uh and they just decide to non-suit the damn thing you know and say oh okay well we changed our mind well if you don't have any affirmative pleadings on file there's nothing to keep that from happening so you know if you are if you are entrenched in the litigation and you are doing well, you do not uh, want that to happen. So then the other thing I was talking about is, you know, the temporary order hearing along with the temporary restraining order. Now, most of the, most of the sizable counties have standing orders, and those standing orders encompass the vast majority of the – actions that were generally or are generally restrained in a temporary restraining order you know don't move money around don't dog cuss your ex in front of the kids you know don't change insurance beneficiaries don't you know take the kids out of the state for the purpose of moving uh you know things like that that are kind of common sense but common sense seems to go out the windows in these times that you know when especially when you're dealing with divorce stuff when a temporary restraining order comes into play is when you typically if you need some sort of extraordinary relief and where this happens a lot is let's say that there has been some drug or drug or alcohol abuse recently um you know around the kids or let's say that there's been physical violence around the kids that type of thing you might end up with a temporary restraining order, or in the case of violence, you could end up with a protective order. But basically, in that situation, you're going to seek extraordinary relief along the lines of what is commonly referred to as a kickout order. Okay, So you're trying to kick that person out of the house until there is a subsequent order by the court, which is going to happen at the temporary order hearing. Okay, So that's when you're, going to, you're, you're typically going to see that. Or if there's Let's say that there uh, there are some other concerns with expenditure of of funds. You've got somebody that uh, let's say owns their own business, and let's say that they uh, they do some international stuff. Uh, so there's a concern about you know moving uh, moving money offshore, uh, and you want to restrain that action. That could be another uh, another situation that you run into and there can be some others but i mean you know we're in a relatively short podcast and uh so i I can't really go through all of that right here but those are typically the situations where you would get a tro and if you get a tro like i said the court has to set that temporary order hearing within 14 days so everything's got to you need to get you know 
get a move on, so to speak, uh, pretty quick to be able to address that. And so what exactly does the court do at a temporary order hearing? Well, the court issues temporary orders that, for the most part, last through the pendency of the divorce action. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't come back and seek to have them modified or ask for additional orders depending on the circumstances that are happening at that time. Uh, your success or failure in that regard is going to be dependent on the specific facts of your case and the court that you are in. So some courts you know, are pretty good about allowing you to modify uh, for things, and some courts uh, really don't want to do that at all unless it is an absolute emergency, um, you know, hairs on fire kind of situation. So, um, so what the temporary order is going to consist of is the court is going to make temporary orders related to conservatorship, possession, and access, and then it's going to get over to the other, uh, the other issues, more of the, you know, division issues, although the court will not, you know, divide anything at a temporary order hearing, but they're going to make a, a decision on who's going to live where and who's going to pay for what during the pendency of the lawsuit, okay? So going back to conservatorship, what am I talking about there? Well, that's pretty much where everybody talks about child custody, okay? Conservatorship, everybody's heard of joint managing conservator. Well, that is where, you know, the presumption is in Texas that, that parents should be joint managing conservators, and that really goes to uh, rights and duties that you have related to child rearing, okay? The, the right to make decisions related to medical issues, psychological issues, psychiatric issues, educational issues, things of that sort. Uh, it also can be the point where the court makes a determination of who that joint managing conservator is who is going to be able to determine the primary residence of the child or children, okay? Um, and what is significant about that is that is who the child or children are going to live with more than 50% of the time. So he or she is going to be the person who is going to be entitled to receive child support. Okay? That's something else that the court will do is they will order temporary child support that typically is going to be based on the guidelines as promulgated by the uh, by the Texas Family Code. Now there's a there's a ceiling on it, which is not an impenetrable ceiling, but it's you know a, you have to have certain facts to get above it. But general rule of thumb is you can think of it this way: if you got one kid, it's 20 percent of that. If you got two, 25, three, 30, you know, etc. Et and it doesn't just keep going up like that forever. But there's a cutoff, and there can be times where it's less, depending on if you have other kids. Uh, that you support and things like that, and you you should talk to a lawyer about all of those. Then that last part that I was talking about is possession and access, and that's where lots of people are familiar with every other weekend or you know every first, third, and fifth weekend. That's basically looking at a standard possession order, and that's the starting place where a court uh, is going to offer possession to the non-primary parent. Okay, so you might get a standard possession order, you might get an expanded possession order, you could get something less, you could get something more. You could have your possession um, monitored and, um, you know, supervised, uh, depending on what the facts of your case are. So there, there are a whole lot of things that are going to happen at this temporary order hearing, and that's why 
depending on the circumstances, you need to, you know, do your research and get in to see the right lawyer and hire him or her as quickly as possible because there's a whole bunch of whole bunch of stuff that's got to be quick. So let me right, turn that right. fire hose off now that you've been drinking from. And, and, I was just going to say, uh, press the go button. All right. Well, I mean, this, yeah, is, all, but that's crazy. All very, this is all very standard stuff. I'm sure that, um, you know, you could have done that in your sleep. And maybe you do. I'm not sure. But um, <laughs> those around you. you know, uh, so here you mentioned, Mark, that within – so say you get a t- temporary restraining order along with being served. You have 14 days to get into there and have the temporary order hearing. What in the right. normal course of events, because as uh, I can see people listening, preparing, and, you know, there's a lot to prepare for these temporary order hearings. So I'm assuming that everyone needs to get their documentation lined up and get right. all that ready. How long do people, if there's not uh, a restraining order involved and there's no exigent circumstances, how long do we normally uh, are expecting to have that temporary orders hearing from the time that I think case is filed? Well, I, generally anywhere from two to six weeks. It really depends on the on the court, um, you know, and what their docket looks like. Obviously, you know, if there's a temporary restraining order, by law the court has to set it within a specified amount of time. If there is not. Um, a temporary restraining order, you know, they've got more leeway. Uh, so, but generally you're looking at between two and four weeks. I think that is the average, you know, I've seen it, you know, six weeks and I've seen it longer than that, but it depends on what the circumstances are. So generally, you know, you're going to have, I'd say, think of, you know, somewhere between two to four weeks and you do need to get some stuff together. And, you know, your, your lawyer should provide you with a, um, a monthly financial worksheet so you can figure out, you know, what is your monthly spend? You know, what do you actually need to be able to survive? And, uh, you know, are you factoring in child support or not? Are you going to, are you planning to seek uh, custody of the kids? Or I should say, are you seeking to be the managing conservator who uh, establishes the primary domicile? Or are you seeking to be sole managing conservator because of the circumstances of your case? So, so it really all depends. There's no hard and fast rule. The first, what I always would suggest to someone is, you know, it's like with anything else. If you sit there and procrastinate, you're setting yourself up, you know, for potential right. problems. It might not bite you in the ass this time, but at some point it's going to. So I just, I would right. not procrastinate. You just, you just really limit your options that way. Well, I, c- I can just see the anxiety, though, from a person saying, okay, I have two to six weeks to prepare for this temporary orders hearing. What if the judge doesn't change things for the final trial what you know if i'm stuck forever with a a decision that you know people i i don't know who would ever walk into that temporary orders feeling feeling that they have fully 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 prepared to the greatest extent possible you know under the moon sun and the stars i mean it's kind of like studying for a final exam at some point you have to right. put the books down and you know get a good night's sleep and go in there well, that's right. And, you know, and also so much is dependent upon what county you're in, you know, because, for example, Collin County has a 20-minute per side rule. Now, do you, do you get any deviation from that? Depends on the court and depends on what the circumstances are. But the general rule of thumb is no. So you can think about, you know, all those different issues that I brought up. All right. And if you've got 20 minutes to present that, that means 
all of your witnesses, the witnesses that they present that you're going to cross-examine, getting your evidence uh, or your documentation into evidence, you've got a very limited time. You're putting things through not a strainer but a funnel, you know. <laughs> and uh, so that's why it's so important to get it done early. And, you know, what might seem important to the layperson might not be important to me. And I don't mean it's not important to me from the standpoint of a final trial, but from the standpoint of prioritization on what we need to accomplish in a temporary order hearing, it might not be at the top of the list. Does that make sense? It, right, it does. And because especially <clears throat> where what happens in our temporary orders hearing is not necessarily how it will be for the rest of the you know, natural lives that we live, um, I have a question about mediation. When when is sure. when can people when when people start talking about divorce? And I know when people say I'm either going to file for divorce, I'm going to you know, or someone filed on me. It, it seems sometimes that the attorney is the last person they call. First, they talk to all of their friends, family, and neighbors, and any pretty much anyone who can freak them out the most. Um, seems to be right. the natural inclination that we do as people. Um, so, you know, in having those discussions with uh, neighbors and whatnot, people might bring up mediation and, you know, mediation worked or it didn't work. When can people normally uh, expect that? Because, you know, what, what you told us about the temporary orders hearings is that which we can uh, settle, so to speak, on a short term through mediation, we can narrow so we have more time in our temporary orders hearing to focus on what's really the most important. Yeah, I mean, typically, typically mediation is going to happen quite a while after a temporary order hearing. Okay, that is not always the case, and I mean, that's that's part of the problem in, in really in in talking about some of these things because we can speak in generalities, but everything is case specific, dependent on on your particular set of facts. So typically you're going to have gone through a temporary order hearing or, written, or uh, reached an agreement related to that and then you know, and gone through the discovery process and done all kinds of different stuff before you actually get to the point of mediation because you want to make sure that you know enough about your position and the other side's position and what the evidence is uh, and you know, what are the experts' opinions um, so that you can actually go in and mediate based on, you know, all of those particular circumstances. Now, having said that, sometimes there are cases that, um, you know, that you can get done. I don't want to say relatively easily, but I will say relatively early. I'll give you an example of one that I had. Um, high income, uh, lots of assets. But the kids are grown and out of school, okay? So there aren't any, you know, college or, you know, any, there, there aren't any kind of educational payments that are still being made. So really what we were dealing with uh, were the, you know, asset division. And there were some separate property issues, but they weren't terribly, they weren't terribly convoluted, okay? So it wasn't a situation where... Um, A separate property business had had been started, you know, um, and then morphed into different things. I mean, that's just you know, kind of a 
a broad stroke, but let's say there there just were were not significant separate property issues that were real convoluted that were going to really bear out different positions. The most difficult thing was we had a, a fair amount of stock that was on vesting schedules, and so when you've got vesting schedules, you know not all of that is going to be community property. Some of that is going to be separate just because it's going to vest after the marriage has ended. And so, so there's some formulas that have to be put into place to make that determination. But in that case, both of the parties were really dedicated to let's get this done as amicably as possible, as uh, quickly as possible, so that we can both just move on with our lives. So it was really an intensive amount of work for about 80 to 90 days. All right. I mean, we spent probably 30 to 45 days um, really kind of going through some expedited discovery, making sure that both sides had all the documentation to be able to look at all the different assets and, and debts and, and how we could possibly, you know, uh, divide them and what the tax implications were, so that meant other experts. But when the parties are dedicated and you've got stuff like that, there's no reason that you can't go to mediation early. Um, you know, so you can do it at any time. It's really dependent, once again, on the facts of the case and what either side is committed to. So where it's not going to happen, okay, maybe that's easier to talk about. Mm-hmm. If, both, if both parents, let's say there are three kids and both, both parents want custody of the kids, you're not going to go to an early mediation because you haven't, nobody's gotten, nobody's gotten hit. Let's put it that way. Okay, you're not going to have any expert witness who, at that point, who is coming out and, you know, has done a child custody evaluation that says, no, you know, dad gets the kids or mom gets the kids. You really need something like that to provide a little leverage. Until there is something like that, um, you're just going to kind of beat your head against the wall. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is, well, you know, there, there are um, some other things that I was Outside of mediation, I was making a list here, too. Mm-hmm. Some of the other things yep. that can pop up that I just wanted to cover shortly. Um, the complex sure. issues. Uh, some people have yep. complex issues with international issues when, yep. um, you know, people aren't necessarily you know, from the U.S. Or, or from Texas. You might They may have been come, come here from, uh, you know, other countries. I know there's uh, custody right. things with countries like India that don't have the Hague Convention. There's out-of-state right. issues. Again, you touched on business ownership issues. Or here's a really right. dreaded one. What happens when um, you know, you're representing the party that does not have all the information, has not had all the access to the data, you know, where your other, but the other spouse took care of everything, and right. the other spouse said, by the way, I'm going to drain you in this divorce. I'm going to run this right. thing so long, you're going to have to clean toilets on the side to pay your lawyer to keep up with it. We're going to bury you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep, happens all the time. Happens what do you tell people? Uh, well, I mean, basically, you you need to you need to find a way to be able to fund the litigation. So, hopefully, you can get an award of what is called interim attorney's fees, which means that the court is ordering your spouse to pay both sides. Okay, it's going to order uh, your spouse to pay for your attorney's fees, and you've got to do the right type of discovery to to be able to find out what uh, what's out there. You might be employing 
private investigators to do uh, to try to do as much tracing as possible. You very likely are going to bring in a forensic accountant to cull through banking records to see, uh, you know, if there have been some transfers different places. Because unless someone is, you know, um, and this is a generality, let me put that little asterisk out there. But generally, if somebody is trying to hide money, generally there's going to be something that can be found. That is not always the case if you deal, you know, in a shit ton of cash. That's a different deal, okay? I mean, you just, it's very, very difficult to trace that. It doesn't mean that you can't, but, uh, but it's very difficult. But typically, if somebody is going to have transferred any funds, there's, you know, there is a, uh, uh, you know, there's a trail that can be followed. It just is not always terribly evident, and it's not, might not be something, as a matter of fact, it likely is not something that is going to show up on the corporate books. But it, typically, you are going to see or be able to sniff a little bit of that trail from different banking records at, you know, different banking institutions that, that they do business with above, above board. You know, and then you've, but that's why you've got to employ, you know, someone like a, a forensic accountant. So, for instance, I can look through a lot of documents and I can see a lot of stuff, but I am not an accountant, much less a forensic accountant. And that's why I would want to employ someone in that regard to take a look to say, uh-oh, here's where some of this stuff is and this is what we need to do. So then we've got to go through the whole rigmarole of, you know, trying to uh, subpoena records. And let's say, is it a bank here or is it a bank in the Caymans? You know, good luck on trying to get a hold of some of that stuff. So there's just there's a whole bunch of different stuff that goes on. The one of the worst cases that I remember, uh, when I was right out of law school and worked on this file, the husband was telling the wife, basically lying to the wife, saying, you know, we have these assets, I'm involved in this business venture, all this. And the guy was lying to her, and they were over, you know, leveraged. And so, but when time came for the divorce, she goes looking for all of these all these assets that never existed in the first place, and you know she's like, I, you know, go look at this bank and what is this bank? I mean, it got to be a fishing expedition, and at some point you have to, you know, figure out how much money you're going to spend digging for what you may never find. In the same case, it was uh, the the stock the stock prices. You know, no, let's wait and let's run the numbers again because it's going to go up or the stock is going to split and you know, eventually it's kind of like sitting at a blackjack table too long where, you know, the money you were up is now down and um, right. you're going to spend a lot of money, you know, putting this thing off. So, I mean, there's at some point a, a point of judicial economy we all have to look at. Yeah, there's no question. Uh, there is no question that that is, that's an issue. I mean, and what's the answer? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, that's where you've got to have a discussion with the client about, you know, is it prudent to continue down this road? So far, it has not, you know, has not provided any dividends. Now, what I would want to do in that regard is hopefully you've got some documentation where, you know, the spouse has been uh, making these representations of I'm involved in this business and this business and this, that, and the other to be able to show exactly what he is trying to do because then what that gives rise to is a sizable award for attorney's fees based on the actions of that party. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. a big recourse. <laughs> right. Um, another thing that we should touch on real quickly is spousal maintenance. 
What's a good uh, maintenance case, and what are people like to? What are they likely to see? Um, maintenance forever, a certain limited amount, limited in dollars. Uh, again, there's a whole world, the world of Hollywood. Also, um, you know, Hollywood and the big screen blows up a lot of these. There's been certain big time divorce movies, and a lot of people get their facts from the big screen and not the uh, real computer screen. Yes, that's exactly right. And let me let me also distinguish between spousal maintenance. Well, let me distinguish between three things: alimony, spousal maintenance, and temporary spousal support. Okay, you might not have a spousal maintenance case, but you might get temporary spousal support, which is during the pendency of the divorce case. Okay, um, so let's say that you're you know you're living in the big the big house with a huge huge mortgage payment and you're living in there with with the kids and uh you know hubby is is ordered to to continue making the mortgage payments okay even though you would not qualify for spousal maintenance that's a different situation because the court is basically trying to make sure that everybody you know can keep their head above water and uh you know make sure that the kids are okay and the preservation of assets now a spousal maintenance case it is not like California and New York and all that, where you hear about people just getting these huge amounts forever. The only way you are going to get, well, first of all, you're never going to get spousal maintenance forever unless you agree to it, uh, you know, because by statute, the court can't grant it forever. You could negotiate it. Um, that gives rise to certain issues. Uh, you could negotiate alimony. Difference between alimony and spousal maintenance is alimony in Texas is contractual. You're talking about alimony as it is defined by the Internal Revenue Code, and generally you're going to agree to alimony because you are seeking you are seeking a uh, you know basically you're seeking a spousal maintenance type of situation to go on for a certain number of years, and you are seeking the payer is seeking a tax benefit to it. Um, and so that's why you tend to use that. Now, I've done that a lot of the time, uh, and that is something where you're you know, kind of thinking outside of the box and looking to cure certain ills for one party and, uh, um, and get a tax benefit for the other. So spousal maintenance is going to generally you need to have uh, not worked for, for a period of you know, 10 years and, and have, uh, have been married for at least 10 to even be able to qualify. Uh, there are certain exceptions to that. Um, but that is something that we can talk about at another time. Otherwise, I'm going to end up turning this fire hose on again. So There you go. Well, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to talk about here, and there's great information on the website. And for those, really, there's a like, library of information. You know, so um, ScrogginsFamilyLaw.com. Uh, uh, where else is a good place for people to look for information, Mark? You can also go to scroggins-law.com. Uh, you can uh, look at, I believe we have videos up on on both of those. I think uh, if you also go to reallawyers.com, it also uh, has, I think I have over 30 videos on that site um, mm -hmm. that give information on all kinds of different things. So uh, those are great places to go to get additional information. Of course, you can call me at 214-469-3100, or you can send me an email at mark at scrogginsfamilylaw.com. Right, and the thing that I just want people to know is that it's uh, anytime you go through something that, that's new and involves a lot of anxiety, there's uh, unknowns, and uh, the best thing to do is find a good 
board certified attorney who you feel comfortable with who's answering your questions and you can just go go through the process start it beginning it but the, the the anticipation and anxiety of things sometimes is worse than the actual thing itself and there's no need to uh, bring worry or stress to things that haven't yet happened yet so really it is take it day by day mark thank you for your time this monday morning we'll talk to you again soon thanks have a great one all right bye-bye everyone all right bye-bye